I want to apologize one more time if any of you received a text or an email claiming to be me this week. Uh, it's not been my phone number or my email that has come out, but we're told that scam groups will do that with churches. So I apologize. Several of you called to check on to make sure if I needed anything. So if we could, so you won't have to do that, just after the service, everybody come see me, give me 100 bucks. Then you won't have to worry about if I'm, no? Okay. So if you'll keep your Bibles open to James, we're going to just be walking through five. And listen, it's okay that you keep your Bibles open. I have a friend who pastors one of the larger churches in our conference, and this past week, uh, they were, uh, one of the staff looked outside during a student ministry night, and there was a suspicious man on campus, and he was sitting outside that building with his head down, so the thought obviously ran through her mind, don't know this person, why won't he look up? Is he disoriented? Was there a fight? Or, or is, is he on something? And so she kept watching him. He, he didn't move. And so eventually she called the police and said, we have. And, and I understand that. We have a suspicious person on our campus. And so the police came and they found him in the exact same state, not moving his head down and approached him uh, to find him reading the Bible. And so uh, this was his first time to come back to a church in a while. He brought his son with him. And went outside just trying to read and uh, was accosted by the police. We will not call the cops on you this morning. Uh, Stay in James 5 as we talk about what's the road to recovery. Tomorrow night we begin our soft launch uh, with the women of the aftercare program at Crossroads Ministry. And we're excited about having Celebrate Recovery here, so be praying for us uh, in that. But, But there are some reminders in Scripture about what needs to be present when you and I are to have the healing and the freeing grace that Christ wants us to have. And and as we sang this morning, we've already heard song, he's died for that. In his cross, we can have that life. All of us have stuff. Temptations, hurts, habits, hang-ups, sin. We all wrestle with stuff. If you've been reading along in our Bible reading plan, even this morning, Romans 1 through 9, everyone struggles in some way. But what we have reminded ourselves is that yes, even when we were powerless, even when we were ungodly, Christ died for us. And so last week we said to ourselves, we are powerless to save ourselves, and so it's Christ that has to do that, but he wants to do that. And in some sense, we're powerless in our sanctification that we need to continually cooperate with his power and his grace of his Holy Spirit for our own sanctification. And then lastly, we said, That God not only exists, but as Greg told us this this morning, in his singing, God, this God who exists is amazing. It's not just that he's transcendent, but that he's imminent. He's with us and desires to bring freedom to our lives. So that's what we said. Realize our own powerlessness and then also to earnestly believe that he exists. But then this morning in, in James 5, 13 through 15, we need to remind ourselves to consciously choose to commit our lives to Christ and to Christ's will, to give our lives to his care and to his control. Again, we're powerless, and yet there's a real sense that we're called to choose. I'm powerless in my salvation. There's nothing I can do to merit my salvation. But when Christ's reaching grace, we as Wesleyans would say, his provenient grace, that grace that goes before. When he enlivens us, quickens us, we respond to and cooperate with that grace. We make a choice to respond. And that's that way with our sanctification 
as well. To consciously choose, I'm giving it all to him. It's a lot of choose language in Scripture. Choose this day whom you will serve. Choose God's instruction, Proverbs 8, 4. When we're stuck or when we're struggling, we choose the Lord. By the way, there's, there's a lot of people that don't like this book. Have you ever read that? That don't like the book of James? Martin Luther is one of them. He struggled because you, you have this kind of talk of choosing and acting in faith that makes us a little uncomfortable. But, but this doesn't hit against orthodoxy that says we're saved by faith, that it's Christ who saves us. But it also reminds us once we've come to Christ, there is no such thing as a, a passive faith, that faith has to be active. And just look at these verses. If you are, if you are suffering, do something about it. You don't sit in it, which some of us can be tempted to do. I'll just sit here until God comes and pulls me out of this. What James says to the church is, if you're suffering, what? In verse 15, get to praying. It's an active faith. It's not a passive faith. Verse 16, even if you're cheerful or joyful, you don't just sit there and relish in that glow. You do something about it. Sing. Verse, the next verse, if you're sick, what do you do? You don't just sit there, trust God with your sickness. Yes, you trust him. You go to him first, but what do you do? Grab some people. Get some people around you to be praying. And James says there might not only be a a physical healing in your life, but God might do something spiritual in that. Wherever you are, sickness, joy, suffering, there's no passivity to faith, but there's activity and active faith. There's some things that might keep us from that. We talked about last week whether it's a hurt of hurt in your life, a deep hurt, or a hang-up, or maybe there's this habit that just won't let you go. There's some reasons why we won't deal with those. Maybe it's pride that I will just muster enough up and I can deal with it, and you just keep stumbling or keep letting that hurt dominate your life. Or maybe it's simply just, as you, as you look at that, it's guilt. You think about how you've stumbled or struggled, and you just think the Lord doesn't want to hear from any more on this. I've prayed this too often, and he is done with me. And Scripture will fight you at every point on that. Or maybe it's fear. That if I I give this to the Lord, there's no telling what he's going to do with it or what he's going to do in my life after this. Have you been fearful to give something to the Lord? Rick Warren's church, Saddleback, uh, came up with the Celebrate Recovery program, and I remember him telling the story that every preacher tells, uh, you've heard it a thousand times, but it, it bears repeating, of the, the man who had, had, was with some folks and got off wandering to the edge of a cliff and was looking over the edge and fell. 500-foot cliff. And as he turned to try to grab something, he grabbed one root, and he held onto that root there dangling, probably 20 or 30 feet already over the cliff, just holding on for dear life. There's no way for him to claw his way to the top, and so he screams at the top of his lungs, Help! Help! Is there anyone there? Again and again, Help! Help! Is there anyone there? And then finally a voice from heaven, It is the Lord. I am here. Lord, help me. Son, I need you to let go. What? I need you to let go, and I will, I will catch you. 
is there anyone else up there? <laughs> right? If I, give, if I let go and give God this hurt that maybe I want to hang on to, I want to make somebody pay for that, right? Or maybe this hang-up I have or this, this temptation or what's be, actually even become a habit. If I give that to him and let him have control, I'm, I'm fearful over what he might do with that. Or maybe it's fear of loss of control. Because listen, when God comes, he comes to get it all. I, I've read this on the internet, so I know everything on the internet's true. Uh, but I'm hoping this is true. But and some of you Marines will correct me on this. But I'd read an article one time that had said that when the, in the taking of the Pacific, what, what there would be is a, they would bomb islands first to soften them up. But then eventually they would send some Marines onto each island to establish a bankhead, uh, uh, a beachhead. Sometimes that might be 20 yards in, 100 yards wide. Sometimes it would be several hundred yards in. But, but the article went on to say that pretty much whenever a beachhead was created, when they were able to, to successfully hold that beachhead, the island was always taken. Well, there might have been many battles where the, the Marines advanced for a season and then were pushed back. But once a beachhead were, was secure, statistically, they always took the island. Once a beachhead was there. Now, you might say, well, negatively, what that means is this hurt habit or hang-up is in my life. And, it, and, it, and there is a reality there that once it's there, it is constantly battling. And it is wanting to, like the devil and, who is a roaring lion, wanting to devour and constantly come at you. But then there's this great reminder as well from Scripture. We saw it in Romans last week, in Galatians, in John's Gospel. And you hear James kind of talking about that life as well in his letter. Once God has come, and we've allowed him into our hearts and into our lives, or as Paul would say uh, to the church in Colossians chapter 1, 27, here's the mystery. That Christ is in you. Once he has made a beachhead in your life, he is coming for it all. You may not sense that. You may not even believe that. But that's the testimony of Scripture. He wants all. I love how C.S. Lewis puts it in that children's book, uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe in the Narnia series. When these children have been whisked away to this area called Narnia and, and this lion named Aslan, who is the Christ figure, he represents Christ. There's been rumors that he is coming. And so somebody reports to the children Aslan is on the move. It's been said that he might have even landed. And it's interesting, their response. One of the children, who was wrestling with temptation and betraying for his own selfish gain, when he hears that news, here's what C.S. Lewis says. At the name of Aslan, each one of the children felt something jump on the inside. Edmund, again, who was struggling with temptation, he felt a sense of, of horror. Peter felt suddenly brave and adventurous, knowing that Aslan had landed. Susan felt as if some delicious smell or some delightful strain of music had just floated by her. But then Lucy got the feeling you have when you wake up in the morning and you realize that it's the beginning of a holiday or the beginning of summer. 
or maybe for us I should say spring. <laughs> maybe not summer, not Mississippi summer. C.S. Lewis didn't know that, right? Aslan is on the move. What, what James is saying to the church is Christ, Christ is, is here. Paul says to the church, Christ is in you. He's not speaking of some pagan Eastern Eastern understanding that God is in you and you are God. He is saying that the one true living God has given his only begotten son for you and has not only covered your sins, but as faithful as Jesus said God was in John 14, he's been faithful to keep that promise. His very spirit, the Holy Spirit, is in you. Greater is he is in you that's in the world. There's no telling what God can do in your life once he has established a beach head. And so first things first in James, we have to commit ourselves to cooperate with the will of God because it is his desire to free us, to bless us, to fill us, and to redeem us. What are those places for you? Maybe it's because of pride, maybe it's because of guilt, maybe it's because of fear, or maybe your desire to control, you're not allowing him to move. Well, James will fight us at every point. It's not just a passive faith where he has to work in us. Yes, he starts with that, but then this active faith. We cooperate and say, Lord, come and take it all, because he desires to do that. And then lastly, if you're following along in your notes, The last four verses remind us for any kind of real recovery, for any kind of real healing in our life, as Renee said this morning, we need each other. We have to openly confess our faults uh, to one another. Can I tell you, this is where most Celebrate Recovery groups stop. As we've had a group now meeting for eight months together every Monday night to go through the eight steps and the 12 principles together, they require that you get through the fourth principle before you can launch a CR. And part of the reason they do that is because in the fourth uh, principle, you talk about this very thing. Will you be real with at least one other person? And so to be able to start a CR, you have to have met with somebody and said to them, hey, here's my stuff. Can you look somebody else in the eye and say, this is what I really struggle with? Because if you're going to be a part of the healing of somebody else uh, in that way, first you need to take that first step. And so... It was, it was interesting watching our team having to do that and to wrestle uh, with that, to be, but to be faithful, to open their lives to at least one other person or to the, in, to the entire group and share, here's where my life is. Many of us carry pain or guilt or disappointment, heavy stuff. So it's hard to take that step. David carried a lot of that as well and in his in his psalm he said blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven whose sins are covered blessed is the one whose sin the lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit when i kept silent my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer Yes, we take it to God first because he's the one who can forgive us and redeem us and reconcile us, gift us with his healing and his filling. But even God knew, and you see it so marvelously in the life of Jesus, of this importance of doing life together and allowing somebody else, somebody else to walk with us in that hurt or in that disappointment or even in that confession and temptation. And you see it here in James. I look at uh, James' uh, um, 
life. You ever think about that, by the way? James's life? This is the half-brother of Jesus who wrote this letter. Now you think about his life and you think about his past because we, we read the scriptures, we realize James did not believe in Jesus during his public ministry. Somebody who had been with Jesus for a good portion of his life had watched him speak, had watched him live, had watched him interact with people, and he still couldn't say about his half-brother, you are the Messiah, and Jesus knew it. And then to have Jesus be tortured, executed, and James to have to eat that later, to deal with that later, that I know that I stood by and let that happen to my half-brother. I'd watched a sinless life. I'd watched the way he cared for other people, but I couldn't make that faith jump. What do you do with that? Do you just sit in it? It's not what James does. James becomes the head of the Jerusalem Council of the Church. James actually won't let his past and his struggles dictate who he will be now and in the future. And he even gets to be a part of cooperating with the Spirit to write Holy Scripture and ultimately... James goes, some we think in the 60s, that James goes to his death. He is martyred in his love for his Savior and his half-brother's kingdom work. He doesn't let his past and his stuff keep him from serving Jesus. And what he says is a huge part of that life then is other people. Listen, I go to James, and there's so many verses here, right? What I remember is faith without works is dead. What I remember is chapter 2, 19. You believe there is one God, you do well. The demons also believe that, and they shudder. Or you go to James 3, which talks about the tongue being set on fire, even by hell. Or those, those verses, again, of be doers of the word, not just hearers, or this wonderful passage. Every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. I hold on to verses like that, or James 4, 8, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. That's not how he concludes his letter, though, is it? What does he say at the end of his letter? What's, what's, the, what's the bookend? What's the climax? What's the ending? Be real with one another. You never know what kind of work God might do. It might even be a part of somebody's salvation. Openly confess. Openly confess your faults uh, to another. It's, it's David who says, I sat in silence so long. My strength was taken from me, sapped. But it's when he interacts with a Samuel. It's when he interacts with a Jonathan. It's when he takes the word of truth from Nathan that life, a vibrancy to his life comes back because he's opened his life to another person. It's always God first, but then it's always coupled with how will we let somebody walk with us. I don't know what that is for you. Maybe it's men, you come Friday night and see if the Lord opens up a relationship. Uh, Maybe it's through our men's Bible studies, women's Bible studies. Maybe it's you need to get invested in a Sunday school or a small group or just pursue i've told that story before just pursue somebody in your life there was a a southern baptist youth pastor in the town when i was serving in in batesville and towards i've been in ministry almost 10 years and then finally said you know i'm doing life alone there's nothing crazy in my life but i don't think i don't think this is it and so i we had nothing in common 
and he was Southern Baptist and I was Methodist. I don't remember 20 years ago. There were some wars there, right? And he, he, uh, he and I had Jesus in common and that was enough. And there were times that I needed his word of grace in my life that I wouldn't have had if I hadn't pursued him. And then after him, I served at Christ Methodist and eventually I had pursued a guy named, I don't know, Jim Genesee, you heard of that guy? I never said I had good taste. I just said that I need a friend like that uh, who, who will meet, we meet weekly uh, over the internet to talk, he and another friend and I, uh, to, to, to say what's going on in your life and how are you doing. Uh, James says that to the church. This is James, the head of the Jerusalem council. This is somebody, and he says, this is how, this is how we do life. And he wouldn't let us pass, and he wouldn't let his stuff keep him from the freeing grace of Jesus Christ. Uh, part of our word today is that there has to be a choice. There has to be a choosing that I'm going to press through any fear, guilt, pride I have. And I'm going to choose to commit whatever hurt, hang-up, or habit I have to the Lord. You take it. I com- I'm actively committing and cooperating with you. Take it. I'd love to pray with you about that. But it's also going to mean that we're going to have to put some people around us, as Renee said this morning, to help us along that way. Will you be willing uh, to do that? James calls us to that very thing. Let's pray about that. Father, we thank you for this, your word. We pray that your Holy Spirit would help us, would bless us, would, would show us how it is we can respond to you and to your word this morning. And we thank you that you're a God who reaches out to us, meets us where we are. We praise you for that. Bless now our response to this, your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.